Gaming NBS episode 229 being recorded Sunday, February 10th, 2019. Alright, welcome to Gaming and BS, the Tabletop RPG Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Welcome to the show, folks. Welcome back. Glad everybody's here. How you doing, man? Doing fantastic, Brett. How are you? Not bad. We've got another uh, Snowpocalypse thing coming, apparently. Snowpocalypse, Polar Vortex, Hoth. Yeah, Death. I don't know. Get your Tauntauns. Start gutting them. Whatever it is you do. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it's just it's a late winter. And what are you going to do? It's just another February day. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty so. much. Uh, let's see, do 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 announcement wise. Oh, so awesome dice. We're still doing awesome dice. Awesome dice. So head over to gamingmbs.com, sign up to our email. You will be automatically entered for a drawing to win a set of dice from awesomedice.com. Thanks for Brandon for supplying that offer. Also, if you go to awesomedice.com and use the discount code gamingbs at checkout and you spend ten dollars or more you will get 15% off your order. Very nice. So check them out. Uh, Gary Khan is coming up pretty Ooh. damn fast. So Sean and, I'll, Khan. Sean and I will be there. A bunch of other uh, folks will be there. If you see us, feel free to stop us. Say hey. Be great to great to meet some listeners if anybody's there. I am. Where's I thought I had my list here. Are you running or are you just playing? Just playing. I am. I I think think I'm, I'm going to run some off-book stuff. Yeah? Yeah. Well, okay, that's cool. Because uh, Susan is bringing AJ, and I think Ilana wants to come this year. I'm not sure. But last year, I ran an Avalon game with AJ, and uh, Ray Otis was there. And uh, Ray's going to be there again with his new bionic elbows, so that'll be cool. What and, did you do, uh, Ray? <laughs> <laughs> so we can. Uh, so I'm hoping I can get him back, uh, he and AJ, back together for a little Avalon game, and that'll be fun. So what do you got? You running or are you just playing or what are you doing? Man, I am playing this year and I am playing as I pull it up on their web pages. My um my schedule looks like I'm I'm leaving my nights free. Eh, hint hint, ladies and gentlemen. Smart man. Tower of the Flower of Power on Thursday. Who's that, is that? That is Forrest Gary's okay. uh, DCC game. Got it. Experience 2. So experience in the game type, type of game he's asking for. So I'm in there with Dave Wynn, amongst others. Very cool. And then on Friday at 1 o'clock, I will be in the presence of Alex Cammers uh, from the game hole Trillium, City of Enchantment. City of Enchantment. I believe that's Alex's, uh, that's his game, that's his setting, man. Is it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so that's that's the, the kind of the special, one of my specials, because you only get one special you can sign up for. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Right? Boy, we got, I got around that, but don't tell Gary Khan authorities. <laughs> stuck, and, stuck in there. And then Saturday, I will be in the Cult of Chaos, Gatsby, and the Great Race. Nice. Yeah, and that's got uh, a butt-ton of attendees. I'm looking at, without counting them, oh, there's probably like 20 people in there at least, 25. Um, 
with some very known people I know. And on, I think, Thursday at 2? Is that the Gaslands game? I think it is. I think that's Thursday, yeah. Yeah, I think Thursday at 2, Gaslands. And that's another featured event that Brett has helped me obtain entry into. <laughs> when the system is sucky, you've got to just- Gamers helping gamers, man. Go that's around, what it's about. Go around the system. But Gaslands, uh, for those of you, we've mentioned it on a die roll. Um, I would say it's the modern day Car Wars. Yeah, that's what I've been told. Yeah, you play. I have the book. You, it, the scales match box cars. You use templates, and um, it's a hell of a lot easier than any car wars game. It makes more sense. Man, what were those gamer guys thinking back then, man? I don't know. Chits and paper. I don't know. Chits and paper and cookie cookie rules. But anyways, that's my Gary Con. The evenings I will be free to roam around. Sweet. Um, pick up games and socialize. Nice. Yeah. Mine's going to be mostly socializing and hanging out, which is my favorite thing to do at GaryCon, and then running some off-book stuff. And I'll probably get in on a Deadlands. Not, excuse me, not Deadlands. Good Lord. <sighs> Dark Trails. Dark Trails. Exactly. I thought Dave, Dave, Beatty. Dave Beatty's Dark Trails game. He ran one last year at a fucking blast with it, so I think I've got an in this year. So that should be good. That should yeah. be good. Yeah. I like Dark Trails a lot. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, other news pieces. My Avalon Kickstarter continues along, uh, just cruising on down. Um, our main artist, Matt, he's got more pieces for the core book coming out. Looking good. I've seen a couple more pe- a couple more bits. Looking really nice. We've got stretch goal um, writing work going on right now. I've seen the first round of the the layout for the book it looks pretty damn sharp if you're um if you're interested in what it looks like go out to the kickstarter and just go out to kickstarter.com look up streets of avalon you can take a look at the updates yourself if you like um we also are making sure that we're paying people so <laughs> phil likes to call it the fact that you know hey guess what writers and artists and everybody is getting paid so what? that's all pretty cool come you know, on yeah it happens sometimes I thought this was hobby works everybody's doing stuff for free yeah that's kind of how i Thought I would happen. <laughs> <laughs> Brett was looking at those Kickstarter numbers. What? what, uh-huh, what? Uh-huh. Holy crap. Anyway, so so far so good. Our timeline is still on track and um it's it's looking good. So all signs point to completing as scheduled. So pretty happy about that. Yep, still getting the Gantt charts. Yeah, good. Yeah. And uh last piece I want to say, one of my gamers from my home gaming group, JR, uh went to the hospital yesterday. Um a blood clot in his lungs. That is not a good place to have a blood clot. No, that's not good at all. Not, not, not good at all. So anyway, we've got him. Uh, he's in. Uh, we. Um, he's been hospitalized, and we. So far, all signs point to he will recover. But you know, blood thinners and hospital time. That's as much fun as it sounds, from what John has told me. <laughs> but anyway, John, you don't listen to this. But anyway, good luck, buddy. I'll see you soon, man. Yeah. Good luck, Jr. Hey, who clotted Jr. <laughs> <laughs> That's lucky he's still standing, man. No, I know it is. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, get a blood blood clot in your lungs. That's not good. So yeah, anyway. Could have it could be a lot worse, I imagine. Yeah, it could be. So All right. Well, we don't need any of that shit this year. Mm-mm-mm-mm. We've had enough of that crap. Well, that was the year of the Kelly. That shit's gone. Let's yeah, move on. Let's get yeah. something better going. Let's get in a random encounter. Do it up. 
I'm going to really turn the volume up on these. All right. Random Encounter, where we field voicemails, emails, comments from social media. If you're new to the show, that's what we're doing in this segment. I have... Oh, I want to start out with this. Okay. Okay, because we do have an audio, which I don't... I thought I put it in there. Yeah, Blake should be at the beginning, regardless. Um, we I posted... A qu- I posed a question on Twitter, or we, huh, gaming and BS, and uh, had gotten a very good turnout and uh, replies to this thing. I'm, I don't know if this should actually be in Random Encounter, but it sounds like it's all right. Uh, the question was, what single book do you think every tabletop role-playing gamer should have on their shelf? Mm-hmm. Single book. Okay. We got over 90 replies, 15 retweets, a butt ton of likes. And so there's a list of very, we'll have a link uh, in the show notes for those of you on Twitter that want to chime in. We also posed the question on our Facebook page as well as our Patreons um, and got some very interesting ones. Most are not role-playing game books. Yeah, I was actually really happy about that because there's a lot of good novels, um, fiction, nonfiction, lots of good stuff out there. And I was hoping when you when you threw that question out there that we wouldn't just get, oh, you should have you know Rollmaster and D and D First Ed. You know, I, I don't care. I, not that I don't care. <laughs> Obviously, I care enough. We've been doing this podcast for a while, but I mean that's cool. But I'm wondering about the rest of it. All that supporting material. It's kind of almost like our appendix N, if you will. What are those books, those tomes that people are reading? All like that they think other people should take a look at or consider. So it was pretty cool. It's a damn good list. 90 so plus I, replies, man. It's pretty good. So it's still going, I think. Um, and what we're going to do is I will put together a document uh, to offer everybody uh, for free, of course. And everybody can just reference it. What I also liked about the list was there were the very, hey, I like this book or I like that book many or some actually went into why like, Hey, I like this book because it's really awesome about this. Um, and so, uh, if you need some inspiration, some guidance, maybe some, a fire to be lit under your buttocks and you're looking for that one book that somebody may want to offer. Um, I call it a, I called it Appendix M because it's better than N. <laughs> and then some, Mr. Camera corrected me, why not O? And I'm like, uh, yeah, that would probably make more sense. So uh, maybe uh, Appendix Oh, well. Append- I know I'm really dumb. Appendix O. But we'll, rather than go through 90 replies, we're going to keep it going. Um, I'll keep adding to the document. And we'll put it out there on the interwebs. And, uh, well, what I think can... we'll do is once it's done, once you, once you get the cutoff, I'd like to go through and pull out some of the more unique ones or things that I've, you know, that type of thing. We kind of need to share some of them on the show, so we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We can. We could only... probably name like three every episode and have enough for the whole year. Shit, yeah. Now, the other thing that was really nice, and Sean pointed this out to me just before we got on the mics, is that our listeners are awesome. So the men and women who were responding to this, there was no, oh, you like that book? You're an idiot. Or that book is fucking stupid. Everybody was, played nice. Everybody's being very nice and very polite to each other. So thank you all very much for that because that's yeah. just awesome. Yeah. Some very, hey, I was going to say that. But since it's already been said, I'll say this. Uh, there's been some that said, hey, I love that book too. It's really awesome. Yeah, it's a great series. Some tried to squeeze a 
trilogy out of it and yeah, well, well like this for this and that for that and i'm like no no wrong one book please one book and one book only god damn it that's right one book to rule them all but anyways cool thanks for everybody and if you're interested again go onto the twitter and even if you don't have a twitter account i think you should be able to just look at the list it's got mm-hmm. some really good choices there um yeah so there you go we have, I get this out of order. I'm going to fix the order here. Quick. Okay, you, we've got an audio one. We do have an audio one from Light Ryan. Who lay it on me, brother? From, from down under. G'day, this is Blake Ryan from Australia, just responding to 228 Tactical Combat and RPGs. Uh, back in Pathfinder days, I had a fighter use Alchemist Fire, Thunderstones, and Caltrops to control the battlefield. He was a melee specialist. But that doesn't make him an idiot, and other players were surprised when I didn't just charge in and actually manage the aggro. Gamers should remember that just because a miniature has a sword or a gun doesn't mean that's the only option. The downside for having miniatures is that people can skip attempts at negotiation or even avoiding combat and go straight to, oh, okay, what combat maneuvers or spells am I going to use? While there are great landscapes and maps, it can still make people forget things like poor lighting and stormy weather or flying creatures using breath weapons and swoop attacks they tend to put them up front in melee range which is tactically stupid if i use miniatures i use hexes for those who don't know the distance from the middle of the hex or the area to the point or to a side that distance is closer than if it's on a hex than it is on a square uh, brett was right in that it does make people pay attention in combat it's hard to get games organized and to have people show up and not pay attention it's bloody annoying uh, Sean was right in that um, you can use non-regular miniatures. I've used second-hand Skylanders, Lego, and kids' toys. As long as they get the right scale and contrast to your player characters and gets the message across. The best example from my GMing was a two-foot T-Rex stomping towards a party. The wizard opened up his spell battery while the others just ran, and I laughed. Happy gaming, fellas. Blake, always a pleasure to hear from you, friend. Uh, always see him on Twitter. Always interact with everybody, which is very uh, and thanks for the message. Oh, good stuff too, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I, uh, I think there in that show, I've had Hobbs hit me up too with a, an audio about uh, we. I didn't have it here. It was a personal audio to me that he said that he agreed with Brett um, about miniatures and graphic representation being a little being quicker and blah 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 and i'm like ah, i i think bunch of go, crap <laughs> it's shit uh well i think the the piece that when you said that to me i believe i said it on the show was my group likes that yes right and right. if you have a group of players like oh i dig that and that is a key for them Right, they love that stuff. So as soon as you put it down there, they're in. If you have a table full of people who, oh, I guess we can use those if you need to, or who are laissez-faire about them, it may not work. But anyway, yeah, I think it, he was arguing about the speed factor and thinking. Oh. Well, what Brett said was right on because it's faster. It's right there. You can see it and make you can make adjustments and move and do what you need to. My argument would be if you were to put a an encounter side by side. And said, "Okay, where where does that where do you start the clock? Click, you know. And if it's okay, well, I got to throw down a grid, and then I got to throw down pogs, miniatures, whatever. Oh yeah, then, there's the there's the setup, the physical right. setup versus. Right. So if somebody said, well, if you remove that, then it's faster. Yeah, okay, maybe, sure, could be. Um, so you could slice it anyway. There isn't there isn't any wrong answer. I'm wrong. No, heck no. Yeah. So 
and yeah, so yeah, I know. If, it's it's cool. it's it was it was so gracious of you to give me the win on that one. I really liked it. It made me yeah, happy. Yeah, I'm right anyway. Okay, uh-huh. so. Anyways, moving on. Thanks, Blake, for uh, the vo- audio message. Brett, you want to go on with Aaron? No, I'm going to make you do it. A-A-Ron. C. All right, fine. Emails us. Hey, Brett and Sean, I've been listening for over a year and really enjoy your podcast. I wanted to ask if you guys had any advice on how to play test material in a really effective way. So there's your topic, Brett. Nice. I am designing a small story game that is coming out this summer. And although I have been playtesting my game, I know that I can do it better. Brett, with Avalon being developed over many years and a successfully funded Kickstarter, congratulations, my friend. I was hoping you could share some knowledge on the do's and don'ts of playtesting games and getting valuable feedback from players. Also, uh, if I'm allowed to plug, if you'd like to see other projects I'm involved, I play in a live 5e game on Twitch Sunday nights at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's called The Lens of Alaire. I think it's called Alaire or Alari, maybe Alaire. And we actually roll use Roll20 at the table at our FLGS, the Freakopolis Geekery. You can find that stream and other games they play at twitch.tv forward slash Freakopolis. Uh, additionally, I am a part of a Kickstarter for Zine Quest 2019 called Harrowings from the Rhyme. We are working on a zine of Arctic horror fantasy adventures with a lot of new and up-and-coming game designers trying to break in uh, onto the scene. It is mainly system agnostic, but some of it focuses on using the Epic of Dreams role-playing game by Drew Cochran, who created this project. We'll have links in the show notes. Show notes, not the show nuts. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thanks for the great show and all your hard work. Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. You know, that's actually a good... That's a damn good topic. Is the idea of smooth how you, that Aaron? You see how he like, hey, smooth. here's a here's a topic, and oh, by the way, here's some plugs. Yeah, exactly. That's all, that's all that right. Nice. That's all good. Yeah, segway power. He's got Very it. Nice. Yeah, I like it though. I, I, the idea of how to play test it in. Yeah, I like it. I think that might be that. That might very well be next week. Let's see how we do. Yeah. All right. Well, now, would you like to go? Now I shall. Okay. James Crothers from from BC offers an opinion uh, option. Excuse me, an option to Michael Drescher on low magic. Hey, guys, quick note to pass on a possible option for Michael D., depending on his taste definition, who's looking for a low-magic D&D in episode 226. Try Adventures of Middle-Earth for 5e. Even if you're not looking for the Middle-Earth setting and feeling, I bet you could transpose its classes, monsters, and a few other bits of conceits into your own setting for a 5e game with low-magic rules. It may or may not scratch the low-magic itch for Michael D., but I thought I'd throw it out there as as a possible variant variable option. Personally, I think, in my opinion, it is a lot of fun. So uh, thanks for all the BS, James, Sunshine Coast, BC. James, thank you very much, man. I have, this is a, a few different times people have dropped the Adventures of Middle-Earth 5e on us, and I I think I've got, I got a PDF of it. I think I bought one at one point, but I'm, I, I, I that's one of those, I like Middle-Earth anyway, so I think I'm going to have to pick it up and read through it. And just kind of see how they did things. Because the stuff that James is talking about, and I know somebody else mentioned it to us as well for Low Magic. I'm going to have to dig into it and see what I think. Yeah, good stuff. They, the books are always very appealing to look at. And oh, great. I, it's great I, artwork. I, yeah, I just I would be intimidated by the setting. Like I would, It would be one of those settings where I don't, I'd feel like a fish out of water. Really? Yeah, well, there's so much history with Tolkien. 
Yeah, I mean, true, 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 true. But I mean, you're uh, talking it's, Hobbit, it's, three books. It's a hell of a lot easier to get into stuff. than uh, if you wanted to like fully immerse yourself in the Forgotten Realms published history. I would agree with that, and I am not a big Forgotten Realms guy either by any means, but yeah. Fair enough. Um, Trevor D emails us. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. <laughs> Trying out my uh, Kermit the Frog voice doesn't work. Uh, well, it's early morning after a late night of our teenager D&D hosting. I'm working my way through some rather strong coffee and could still barely see straight. Last night was fun. I've been DMing this group of 10 teenagers for months, teaching them the game, working on story development, both backstory and narrative role play, and generally trying to make it fun. Basically, I've been trying to equip them to play without me, and last night it happened. One of them called me a bit ago and wanted to DM. Nice. We talked through it a lot yesterday on my lunch break, and he took the game over. I got to sip adult beverages in the other room, hanging out with the parents, simply being available for their questions. The teens had a blast, and it was very rewarding for me to see Garrett, the new DM, take over my campaign and succeed at having fun. He also got his first kill in. Hey! Good job, Garrett. Hey, all right. Don't pull that punch, Garrett. No. Once you taste blood, you realize how good it is. That's right. There's plenty more where those came from. Buddy. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of blood, dude. Go get just, it. Just remember what RIP stands for. <laughs> then I see this email from y'all about one book for an RPGer. I got a bit excited because I love books and I love RPGs. I'm reading I'm reading Ivanhoe right now and told the teens last night that they all need to read it. There is a lot of great stuff in there, both simple, fun, medieval fantasy world details, as well as strong plot and prose for learning and growing as a storyteller. I thought, wow, if I had a Twitter account, I might recommend Ivanhoe. But then I thought of the Iliad or Odyssey or that. What is that? The Aeneid? Aeneid. Aeneid. Uh, Obviously, I haven't read that one. Then my mind wandered to Dune, then Lord of the Rings. I realized that one fiction book is tough to recommend. Maybe there's something nonfiction-y, like a How to Game Master. Didn't Gygax write a book on that? Role-playing mastery or something? And the Angry GM, didn't he put a How to GM Like Me book on Kickstarter a while back? As I thought through it, I decided that I don't like the question because it constrained me to one book. Huh. Mr. Cameron had the same sentiments. <laughs> I also love the question because it showed me that RPGers are an integral part of the creative process. They take in other stories to then turn around and create their own story. I just decided that I don't think the nonfiction books are something I will ever recommend for an RPGer. Instead, I'll recommend a story that moves them, one that they love. Do you like Drist Duarden? Great read. Some of Salvatore's stuff. Do you like Robin Hood and knights hacking each other uh, up in the lists? Awesome. Read Scott's Ivanhoe. Kids fighting in zero G and in the showers. Ender's game is for you. Witches and forehead scars. Rowling has that covered. <laughs> Ultimately, this question question went right back to teaching the teens how to play D and D. Whatever gets them excited to play, whatever fuels the creative fun of role play. Go read that. For me, right now, I've got about fifty pages left in Ivanhoe. I love this book. It's in my top five of all time. Never read it before, but absolutely loving it now. That's my final answer till I get to the next book on my list and then the next and the next. Thanks for your podcast. I really enjoy it. Cheers, Trevor. P.S. 
Despite all the coffee, it's super hard to proofread this morning. My apologies for errors, typos, or sentences that just don't make sense. Trevor, if you've ever listened to us, which it's clear you have, um, our sentences and ideas normally don't make sense. So this is totally fine. This reads like something we would say. <laughs> yeah, it was easy to read. It was. It was very easy to read. Gygax so. did write a book, Role Playing Mastery. I have a copy of it on my shelf. Um, it's... I think it is tough. It's that question like, oh, only one, which is neat because it tells you and the rest of us um, that we like to read and there's plenty of good stuff out there. So it's kind of cool. It's a good, it's a good, tough question, right? Oh man, if only I could. And you just can't, it's, it's tough to pull it together. Ivanhoe is one of those books. I think I started at one point in high school and stopped for some reason. I cannot recall what, but I'm glad you brought that up, man, because I had not had that on my list of books to read. I've never read Dune, and I recently grabbed a copy of it because I'm like, God damn, I need to read this thing. Um, so I'm going to add Ivanhoe to my list. I haven't even I thought have, about that I forever. have Dune in audio, and I just... Audiobooks with me are tricky. The I mentioned this before, the the fiction... Well, you get a shitty narrator, too, and it sounds like crap. Yeah. Or they don't it, know how to translate the fiction into, you know spoken word i have yeah it's hard for me to keep track like i have to you for nonfiction, it's very straightforward because there isn't any bopping around between characters typically and with fiction there is so it's like wait who's talking who's not talking oh my god i just looked i was scope i was zoned out on the road i just had this audio playing for the last 10 minutes and didn't hear like quote unquote hear the last i heard it i didn't listen (laughs) for the last 10 minutes so yeah but anyways, I don't know why I said that, but I have Dune. <laughs> I've, I've listened to it, but I never heard it. Neat. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Heard it, never listened to it. Anyways. Thanks, Trevor. All right. Back to you, sir. Uh, oh, wait. Was that you? Did you read that? You that read was that. me. This is my yeah, turn. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah. Christopher Gray sets us straight on marketing. Here we go. Yeah. Hello, Brett and Sean. I did that in alphabetical order to make sure you know I'm not playing favorites. Fortunately or unfortunately, I'm a career marketer with more than a dozen years in the industry. And I have to say that after all these years of having worked with all of the clients I've worked with in all the variety of industries ranging from Fortune 500 to mom and pop businesses, there's no market in existence as prickly and insular as the RPG gamers. Wow. <laughs> we seem generally opposed to being marketed to. We want to discover things on our own, just like we did when we found that indie band in 1994 that no one knew about but us. Commercial success is sometimes frowned upon, and it and it often feels uncomfortable asking for sales from the community. There's an intrinsic reaction to being over-promotional. I'm no exception. In spite of my day job, I sometimes get my feathers ruffled at a con if someone's trying to hard sell me on something. I remember one moment in particular when a person who I view as being outside the community was trying to sell me marketing services. I full on I full on bristled. The fact is, in any other industry, at any other type of trade show or conference, that convention would have been perfectly normal. That conversation, excuse me, that conversation would have been perfectly normal, and I never would have reacted so strongly. This broad stroke stereotype is brought to you with the definite understanding that this isn't always the case that generally the RPG community is more open to marketing than they perhaps once were. But it is a pervasive point of view. I think game stores and designers are understandably cautious about overselling to gamers. As a designer myself, I think twice before I plug something that I'm going to do for fear of getting anti-marketing rage directed at me. As an industry, however, I think is important when we start taking ourselves seriously. Part of that is willingness to make money, and part of that is the willingness to market our wares. P.S. My Kickstarter for the Great American Novel of Role-Playing Game starts on uh, February 18th, so that's coming up real quick, people. Be sure to back it so that I can make money for selling my wares. I mean, provide 
the same amazing narrative-driven experiences at your table, you find any favorite novels. Maybe both. Yeah, why not both? <laughs> Christopher, that's interesting. I complete, I think you have mentioned in the past uh, being a career marketer, but Sean, I think what he lays out there makes sense to me because I see it in the industry. Oh, my God, they're always pushing their game. People, when um, Zweihander said, hey, Zweihander's on sale, or that people get pissed. They get mad when they see a sale on a book being published or reposted too many times. People are like, oh, my God, they're just pushing this book. I've seen people react like that online in RPG forums. Interesting. I uh, I respect Christopher's view uh, in that regard, for sure. But? Oh, it's not, not really such a but. I think it's more of a um, – there are – I think it's a really – fine balance with marketing because I, I, there are things that I want to know that, that are happening. So I get emails from Odiphius. I get emails from DCC um, or, or Goodman games. Mm-hmm. I get what else other emails do I subscribe to? I mean, amongst other things, but in the role-playing game hobby. And I think some if you do it if you do it way too often, way too frequently, and there isn't a value a piece of value to it. That's why we don't email every week, Brett. Right? Yeah. So the thing is, what's too frequent for you versus me versus ten other people versus the person somebody down the road from you? I don't know. Well, yes, I agree. But is it? I mean, is once a month too much to get one email to say, "Hey, here's what's going on," or "Hey, here's what we've got coming up." Um, here's what we've done. Kind of like, hey, this is what we've done. This is what we're going to do. And oh, by the way, if you want to take advantage of something, you know, else, here's this. So you almost have like v- three callouts, value propositions, calls of action to the person. And if the person doesn't really care, they'll just delete it, right? Or maybe they just grow away from like Modifius is great, but some of their games that I was formerly into, like Star Trek. Uh, you know, I like to keep how I like to see what's coming, but I don't think I'll probably play the game as much as I felt in in the initial purchase, I guess. I you know, know, so let's think about that component of it, too. So if you like a thing. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, I want to know everything about the, this Modifius game. Right. But if you were lukewarm on it, you're interested in it, but I'm lukewarm on it. You know, frankly, that's where I ended up with with Invisible Sun. I'm like, meh. Yeah. And because I'm meh, I stopped paying attention. And when I was getting blasted, for quote unquote, blasted with a bunch of updates and state and statuses and such, I'm like, I, I don't care. I'm, I'm not that interested. So it there was a piece of me, quite frankly, that felt annoyed that I was getting up, that I was getting information. Was that with the Kickstarter only or after the fact? No, after the fact, other people and part of it was I <laughs> I joined groups to get data, you know, and then it was like, oh, yeah, I forgot to unsubscribe from these five, six or however many different things that I because I'm not that interested in it as I thought I would be. So therefore, I should have probably backed off of some of the, you know, tell me about your tell me about your latest whatever for the for the game. Yeah, it's, I, it, it's interesting, though. I mean, honestly, I, I really see where where he's coming from because it's a it's a bizarre niche hobby man and it's it's got to be hard to go at niche hobbies to market to them yeah i just don't i don't know 
Yeah, I mean, it, it's ebb and flow, man. You know, if you get, if you, you kind of can move on from things. And sometimes I got to clean out my inbox and go, all right, I'm getting way too many emails from stuff. I'm only taking a real quick gander. And frankly, some of those emails, I'm really, really perusing very quickly. Like, okay, is there anything in here that is new that wasn't published the last time? Oh, there is something new. Okay, look, if there isn't, oh, it deletes like very quickly, swiftly. Um, I don't know. I think game stores just, they, I don't know, I think they could do it in a very tactful, tactful way. Like, because I think many of us want to know what's going on or how, you know, it doesn't have to be sell, sell, sell all the time. No, true. Yeah. Even if it's like, hey, an event. Right. Even if the event isn't sell, 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 it's like, hey, there's a Magic Tournament. There's a Adventures League game. You know, if it's on your board of shit that's going on this month, give me the monthly what's going on at your store thing. Right. I hear you. All right, so over to you, sir. Anyway, thank you, Mr. Gray. Very good yes. insight. Very, very good. This is from Chris Steele. Oh, yeah. It, tabletop Game Talk, Chris Steele. Oh, my God. Yeah. You yes. know, I don't know if we've mentioned this or not, but Chris Steele and his amazing wife, Sydney, had their baby. What? They had a baby. Yes. It is adorable. I have um, friends with them on Facebook and Sydney and Chris. Uh, I send them a... A congratulations text when I saw it and I got a picture of the baby. So he's exhausted. <laughs> like every new parent is. He's like, are we, are we always this tired? I'm like, yes, you're going to be this tired from now until they're 18. So yeah, carry on. <laughs> Chris, Chris Manov is yes. now has, I think it is the baby's name, Zach. I believe so. Yep. Like Zachary baby of. Yeah. Yeah. Steel? Yeah. It's just, all, he's, he's adorable looking. So yeah. congrats to Chris and Sydney. Yes, congratulations to both of you. Um, so, hello, gentlemen. Chris writes, Michael wrote you an email in episode 226 on low magic D&D, and since I'm sleep-deprived, new baby, ah, I decided it was time to have an opinion. D&D 5e, as written, is high magic from the player point of view. Oh, there you go. He has said it, so it shall be. Yeah, it's Chris Steele. How do you argue with him? Table Talk Top Top Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> He's the host of that. Go Keep, check it out, people. It's a good cast, man. The reason for this is what was mentioned all but four. Warrior, Thief, Barbarian, and Monk of the 12 classes are magic-based. And of those four, there are still magic options for Fighter and Thief and arguments to be had over whether the Monk key powers are magical in nature or not. However, the rest of the world is what the DM makes it. If the DM does nothing but remove magic from the world, including healing potions, then our magical PCs are godlike figures, adventure, advent, godlike figures, adventure among the muggles. Uh, this is an extreme, of course, and even if a DM's world had no magic, the players would still feel as though magic were everywhere because they are bringing it with them. But there is an easy solution to this. Limit character creation and leveling. One extreme is to say you may only choose one of the four non-magical classes with no magic options. But for low magic, I like this. Use multi-classing rules where every odd level, one, three, five, etc., of your character must be one of the four non-magically magically classes, non-magical classes with no magic options even levels can be of any class that's it 
That one simple change, and you'll have PCs with splashes of magic ability without removing magic altogether. What I like about this approach is it requires no rules changes. This approach only limits choices during character creation and leveling. Also make sure to enforce verbal, material, and somatic rules whenever magic is used. If players can't reliably count on magic, the feeling of the campaign will shift from, quote, magic solves all problems, and quote, to, quote, magic exists but can be more hassle than it's worth, end quote. Also, if you want to restrict cantrips, you can make them cost half a first level spell slot. This adds a touch more bookkeeping and is an actual house rule, but it can remove those pesky overused cantrip spells. In the end, there isn't much argument to be had that D&D 5e has uh, been designed to tell high fantasy stories. But 5e, 5e is also an amazingly versatile system, so with a few minor changes, you really can run any game you want without having to learn an entirely new gaming system to, quote, play something else, end quote. Good point, Mr. Steele. I like it. Yeah, thanks, Chris. There you go, Ooh. Michael Drescher. You got some more more things to noodle. Yeah, more opinions. Good, good stuff, though. Very good stuff. All right. So who's up next? Edwin? Is Edwin's next? It is the man from Maine himself. Looking, looking. Ah, yes. Edwin Nagy emails us with a correction. Greetings, BSers. Two bits of info and a comment. Fear of a Black Dragon, while a fun podcast, did not win the Annie. The information on that episode of the podcast leaves a bit to be desired. The Annie was won by the Miskatonic University podcast, which, since I help edit it, is close to my heart. <laughs> Friend of the show, Alex Cameron, is hard at work on another adventure for Frog God Games as a significant portion on the water, an exciting section under the sea. I am managing the project and I have been barely holding my tongue as you've been speaking about the lack of adventures doing these things. But now I have permission to speak. So I'll also be handling the 5e content. I expect to get quite familiar with underwater and shipboard rules. We'll still have some months from the Kickstarter, but keep your eyes open. It's looking to be a grand adventure with at least three major ships, a few islands, and an underwater dungeon crawl. Arr! Finally, as you were talking about how you would mob 5e for low-powered magic, I was thinking it might be fun for you to occasionally challenge your listeners to a hackathon. How would you modify travel rules for Seafaring Golden Age of Pirates game? Or how would you modify 5e for low-power magic? A collection of user ideas might be a useful tool set that GBS could store or might lay, lend to fun discussions on the ep on an episode. I was also thinking that along with GURPS, Fate, and Power by the Apocalypse could easily be used for low magic, or any level, really. Just two more examples of generic systems that could easily be used to scratch an itch. Over and out, Edwin. You know, Edwin, I did know, I did knew, I did knew, I did know that Alex is working on that. Um, I'd had um, at least not all the bits and pieces. I knew he was working on Adventure for a Frog God, Frog God, good Lord, can't talk, Frog God Games. Um, his Facebook post, he talked about the, I think the Salaheen and a couple other watery critters, but wow, what you've listed there is more than Alex ever let slip. So that's, that's going to be good. When that Kickstarter hits, I guess we're going to have to throw some money at it. And uh, fear of the fear of a black dragon won an any. It was just the silver any, Edwin. Oh, they won so, a silver any. Sorry, it didn't specify, and I should correct myself. Okay, apparently, if it's not gold, it's nothing, to Edwin. You're either first or you're a loser. Touche. To that, I mean, that's Edwin's approach. Yeah, <laughs> I'm totally speaking for Edwin. So now he's going to he sees me like, he's like you dick. Edwin gets but up and piss, pisses excellence. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, though, 
the um what he just meant with the hackathon ideas Sean you want that is something we could throw out there and uh we could collect and post I think that could be kind of cool I will take that and see what I could do to turn it into something that's doable Edwin not even a contest per se but just something where people when we have these cool things you know like Chris Steele's idea and a couple other people's ideas it'd be neat to have some kind of uh worldwide web-based database of some sort where we could keep all this crap this would be kind of cool that's a neat idea Edwin damn that's a good idea that guy that guy indeed Jeez. thanks everybody thanks Edwin hey buddy see ya oh yeah I hope he's at Gary Khan um but thanks everybody for writing in good stuff as always let's get to the main topic Brett yeah let's do it All right, Brett. What are we talking about, Miss? Can you, hey, Brett? Yes. Can you can you explain what we're going to talk about today? Tonight? This, the this is beyond your your Ken or any person's Ken. This is this is no, I can't. There's just no way. So we're just going to talk, but we're not going to explain what we're talking about. <laughs> so as a horrible, horrible intro, but the idea is, I want to talk about the unexplained or unexplainable. In our games. So, for example. For example, how would we explain that we are here doing this podcast after 220-some episodes? It's unexplainable, Brett. More or less. <laughs> That's true. Unexplainable. It, it, it is rather unexplainable, really, now that you mention it. That's a good example. I'm just pointing out an example. <laughs> a real-world example. Well, sometimes I'm all right. I'm on my game. So one of the things that gets me... Uh, about this topic, or that doesn't get me, but get got me going on the topic. I was I was doing some research for a game. I'm thinking about running, and it's a Call of Cthulhu style game. I just picture Brett in a big library, dusty tomes stacked up in front of him on this plywood rudimentary desk with two by fours holding it up. I could I could totally go for that, man. That'd be Do, awesome. Doing research. I love li- I love bookstores and libraries, man. That's just anyway. So one of the things that Call of Cthulhu has is it often deals with unexplainable or the unexplained. You have these various eldritch powers, deities, beings that operate on a level we can't grasp. It's almost similar to in D&D worlds, like a lich or a vampire lord or a, a god or great demon lords or or devils and such. Their, <clears throat> excuse me, their minds do not work as ours do. In the Cthulhu mythos, you have gods like Nerlathotep and Azathoth or Cthulhu, the great old one. They do things that literally make no sense to our human minds. And if you're like, okay, that's that's yeah, I get that, and that's the type of game and so forth. But the other thing that I got, I was talking to Sean about this after last show we, we recorded, and another piece that it's interesting, it's probably a piece... It's very genre-specific, but you look at a horror movie. Let's take a look at um, one of the Halloween movies, uh, Friday the 13th, um, Nightmare on Elm Street, any of those old classic ones. So let's take Jason, the guy in the hockey mask, kills people at Crystal Lake or whatever the hell the campground is. Throughout the movies, there are some explanations as to how this guy came to be who he is and perhaps why he does what he does. However, there is no clear-cut, oh, he's just like this, 
Therefore, drive a stake through his heart, cut his head off, stick his stick a clove of garlic under his tongue, and he goes away. The way it operates and how it ends but doesn't end, and it, there's n- there is no solid, very satisfactory answer as to how the creature was risen and how you could ever put it down or why it continues to operate the way it does other than the fact that it's, you know, well, hey, it's a it's a slasher movie, and if you don't have the slasher out there slashing, it's not a slasher movie. But, Sean, are you tracking with me what I'm getting at? I'm tracking what you're putting down. So, Sean, my question to you is, in your games, I know you don't run a lot of horror games, but even in a D&D or a, a Star Wars game, for instance, you look at somebody like the Emperor, the uh, Yoda, even, and the Jedi Council, they're operating in a, in a way, their comprehension of the Force and what it does and how it moves and, and so forth is beyond anything that the player characters get. How do you, or do you do this as a, as a GM, try to instill that into your game at all? Without well, just saying, you can't understand it, don't even bother. I mean, how do you, how do you, get, how do you get it so that the players actually would, get, would uh, feel that way? Well, Brett, with off with uh, often what happens, what often happens <laughs> is formulating a sentence that makes sense from the beginning. That's easy, right? For some, harder for others. Right, exactly. Um, many of my games are to be unexplainable. That's the nature of the game that I provide to my players. It I, keeps I, them. I've played it. I have played in your games, and I must say that at the end of the game, many of us are scratching our heads saying, Why are we here? Right. Well, and it's that sense and that that puzzlement that drives the players forward, Brett, to wonder what the hell is going on. It's It keeps them on their toes. Sean, what the fuck is going on, Kelly, <laughs> as we call them at the table? <laughs> no, seriously, dude, what the fuck? Um, I think there are elements that would lend itself to be more like that, but I also think there are genre that are more. I mean, Call of Cthulhu is classic, and you. Ha- I think D and D would be a good one too, like fantasy. Anything that's uh, you got a lot of magic. You you have planar travel, mm-hmm. um, science fiction, even to to some degree as well. Um, transhuman space, uh, fourth dimensions, black holes. I mean, all that stuff could be very. Anything that I think is, um, you can't look it up on the internet and get a, it's all theory. If it's a theory, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's been proven. So when your players, in, so here's one for you. Yeah. Oftentimes, at least I've experienced this in the past, the characters run up against something and the players at the end of the game, at the end of that fight, at the end of whatever, the player looks at you and says, what the hell? I know my character doesn't get it, but could you explain it to me? Do you ever not tell the player and say, oh, yeah. "Nope, you didn't find out." Yeah. Oh yeah. Seriously? I, you hold I, you hold that you hold that secret to your chest and you I, you'll die with it and they'll never know? I try really I try really hard not to convey some of those things because I think that we get used to we like to share the the reveal and be, you know, hey. Yes, the reveal. Yeah. Yes, we want that reveal to happen. And even as Game Masters, if you've done something oh. brilliant, we want to go, oh, look at this thing. It's really cool. Is this neat? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, that moment. And I think 
that I would prefer that the person come to that oh on their own. But if they and if, they and if they miss it and don't ever get it, you're like, well, too bad, you just don't get it. Well, then I just say, well, what? Come on, quit being such an idiot. How do you like, not understand my not, brilliance? How do you not know this? I'd like slap you in the face with all these clues. No, <laughs> no, that doesn't that doesn't happen. Um, it is hard though because I think we also want to because we as game masters are like privy to everything, right? We're the Yep. Ooh, I can't wait. They're going to figure this out and they're going to heads are going to explode. And we love players heads exploding. Yep. But it's very easy to just do it at the end where it's like, Hey, if you guys would have just did, I don't want to do the, Hey, you sh- if you guys would have just did this, or if you had just gone left and gotten this one thing, you could have, de- you know, defeated this that much easier. I don't think it's the same reveal as what you're talking about, Brett, but I do still think that there is an element of, Hey man, let's just, let the game kind of sit where it sits. Because I think some of the players will come to their own conclusion and share it, and then it'll be, a, then it'll be, oh. Well, there are certain old school modules and even some newer ones that I've read. I'm, I'm going to make this up. And so you just before you walk into a dungeon, there are these blue and gold stones laying out on the beach. Some player decides he's going to pick up a gold stone, put it in his pocket. You make a note. No trap ever affects that player. It's crazy. Through the whole dungeon, he's fine. And you never, at the end of it, or do you at the end of it, say, well, you know, Ragnar the Mighty, he picked up that gold stone. That's why all the traps didn't affect him. Well, what? You know, do you do that or do you not do that? Sometimes those mysteries and those those hidden pieces, in horror, it's, I shouldn't say easier, but it's expected in the genre. Like, oh, yeah, it's Cthulhu. Narlathotep did something weird. There's a madman in a in an alleyway who writes, you know, Cthuloid insanity on the wall uh, in this in this alleyway every Thursday because Nyarlathotep is making him do it. Why? Who knows why? It's fucking Nyarlathotep, messenger of the gods. He's weird. It, I don't know. You don't know. He just is forcing him to do it. And people who know call Cthulhu. Ah, yes, that sounds like something Nyarlathotep would do. He's a crazy, weird ass god of unimaginable and unexplainable intelligence. Yes, I get it. In a horror movie, ah, it's Jason. He's back on the lake and he's stabbing, you know, campers again. God damn it. How the hell do we put him down this time? Get it. But these other reveals, the smaller one even, like the gold stones or, hey, if you would have um, been, if you walk in and you're of evil alignment, that's why this is happening to you here. You pick up the sword and you take damage. Why? Well, you're evil alignment, right? You know, and I remember even those reveals playing first edition AD&D with my friend. Oh, you have to be good to pick up the sword. Okay, who's who's the paladin here? You take the blade. You know, you kind of wanted to know that answer to so you can move on past it. And <clears throat> excuse me, sometimes mucking around trying to find out what the truth is sometimes it's frustrating to players. And players will look at the game master and say, "Can you just tell me?" Because I'm getting annoyed. I'm getting frustrated. So there's. I don't necessarily know how the art of it happens or not, but sometimes I think you need to, or it's a good idea to hide that reveal and just flat don't tell people. I, I, well, here's another reason why I wouldn't divulge it. The game master doesn't know. Yeah, that's true. That's highly possible. So I could say, hey, like Brett mentioned, hey, there's gold stones and blue stones, and you picked up a gold stone. 
and you're walking through, no problem, person behind you gets hit by a trap. Well, how come they didn't get hit by a trap? I don't know. Okay, what's the relevance? Let me see that stone. If Say they even dive, even if they conclude that it's the stone that's got the power of them overcoming these traps. If they look to the reason why, maybe Brett doesn't know. Brett, uh, And then what happens is you just listen to your players and they're like, oh, I bet you I know why. And then you just sit there and go, yep, yep, that's that's exactly right. Yeah, a manticore, a manticore bled to death on a beach, <laughs> and wherever his blood blood splattered, the the turned the stones to gold. Yeah, that's totally why that happened. Yeah, that's totally it. Yeah, bingo, and then you write it down, and then it becomes part of the thing. Like, hey, no, that's, I can't that's believe the, they came up with it. I can't believe you guessed that answer. Yeah, that's the old uh, that's the old game master's trick of put them in a situation you don't know the answer to, and then whatever the best answer is, magically it turns out to be the answer. <laughs> right, <clears throat> but I think there's um. That is a really good way. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a really good way to have the reveal happen in game, right? Yeah. Even if it's like, I think this guy is a, is a cultist of Yogg-Sothoth, and that is why what he's doing is evil, insane, and basically makes no sense. We have to stop him. Okay. Totally. To, to, sure. And everybody buys it, and even if it's not really Yogg-Sothoth, it's, you know a gug or it's some other weird crazy ass Lovecraftian creature that's causing the problem it really kind of doesn't matter <laughs> because the idea is stop the bad guy from doing the thing to the city or, or whatever it is that he or she's doing but having the if the play if the answer is always you don't know you don't know you don't know you know or I don't know without <laughs> giving something or in helping the players to say, well, what do you want to do to try to find out? Asking them those leading questions. And, it, and if they muck about, muck about, like, look, I just can't figure it out. I've rolled every skill roll I have. I've tried every option I have. I don't know why, but Ragnar the Mighty is just, he is trap immune in the dungeon of eternal traps. I don't know why, but he is immune to it. Maybe it's because he's the third guy who walked in the room. I don't fucking know. Let's just go with it. And um, I, I think it's, I guess I've had it delivered in such a way, the reveal, the, the hidden knowledge of some kind, where the where it's been kept from me as a player ages back. It was just frustrating. It was clearly, it felt very much like this is clearly the Game Master just being a dick, and they're doing this just to actively fuck with us, and there's no chance in hell of us ever figuring it out. When the players feel like that, there's a, there's a give up type of feeling. Fine, fuck it, whatever. We're all going to die. Who gives a shit? You know, I have you ever seen that? You haven't. I think I asked you this before, Brett. You've never seen the show Lost, have you? The show Lost, no, but I know what it is. My wife saw it and told me about it. I'm like, wow, that sounds terrible. <laughs> I think you. I think that's right up this episode's alley, man. The people that are listening to this that have seen Lost, because there are elements nobody you don't understand anything. If you've seen that, I, I saw the thing. You got me to watch the thing, which is an awesome fucking movie. Right. There are complete elements of that movie. We don't know what the fuck it is. Right. We don't know. Well, we know at one point that everybody's tied down and they're torturing each other, basically trying to figure this out. And once they find out you're good, they take you away from being tortured. And the guy who was just tortured goes, oh, cool. I'm now I'm with you. Let's torture these other motherfuckers. You know, it, it's all very trial and error. And what is this? Is it this? Are you the Is it this thing? Is it what the fuck is it? You still don't know. And that's okay because somewhere along the way they're making some kind of progress, right? And I guess 
if there's never any progress, if there's never anything at all, even if it leads them down a wrong path where I, I don't, maybe not a wrong path isn't quite the right <laughs> thing, but if, even if the players are going completely up the wrong tree, let them go type of thing. Does that make sense? It does, and I think that the, the thing, comparatively speaking to Lost, the thing, at least you know, there's something, there's this creature that's... There's a thing. Give, there's a yeah. thing. It's a creature. It's a thing. <laughs> it's it's a doing thing. things. Right, but they uh, they divulge on how to detect it and that it's bad news. Well, and, they figure it out. Right. Through trial and error. Correct. With Lost, the intrigue behind Lost is that nobody knows what relevance to anything in the beginning and then as things are divulged you think oh there's something to hook and sink your teeth into until you get way 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 to the end of the story because you're still kind of building up to that big reveal but everybody leaves lost the series and goes uh and then it's all it's then it's all theory and you know i is did this happen? Did that happen? I don't know. Oh, this is the answer. No, I don't know if that's the answer. Now that could get extremely frustrating as a role playing game, but I do think it has elements that you can incorporate that would really get your player characters scratching their head. It's tough because if you if you're watching a TV show and you're like, man, this oh my god, season two, I don't fuck whatever, tune it out, I'm done. <laughs> Right. You're like, well, this is a campaign I'm in with my friends, and it's fucking going nowhere. We can't figure anything out. Yeah. If it's a, if the campaign is built around a puzzle, and there's no way to figure it out at all, that's going to drive. You know, if the, you go the wrong way, and it, there's no possible way to get back on track or to do sort anything out, that can be incredibly frustrating for players. And even for the game master, unless that person's a sadist and watching people just flail around them with nothing to do. But, you know, in a genre-style game like A Call of Cthulhu, like, okay, I'm dealing with bizarre, unexplainable eldritch powers from beyond space and time. Okay, got it. Horror movie. I'm dealing with this, got it. Okay, horror movie. Bad things are going to happen. But when you're in D&D land or... Middle Earth or whatever, there's there's things that are frustrating you don't quite know. Even in um, Lord of the Rings, the Watcher in the Water outside of um, the Mines of Moria, spoilers, is this weird thing. And I, it may be in one of Tolkien's many miscellaneous texts that his son Christopher pulled together later on, but it was never very clear when you read Lord of the Rings what the fuck the monster was. It's like strange things in the deeps. It's weird. And they went, all right, that's a strange thing. It was driven out of the deep. Maybe it was there to capture the ring. Maybe Saruman put it there. Maybe Sauron put it there. I don't fucking know. But we thank God we ran away from it. It's unanswered. Yeah, and but I don't I don't think monsters like that have to have answers. That's like that's, standard. That's, that's standard interesting, D&D. though, because people want to know that stuff. Ah. They do. So who? she Who? Who? Well, don't who? Do you know, names. I want to know names. I want to know names. You're going to look these people up. <laughs> there, there's monsters in D&D. Why are they there? Hey, man, they're living, and they like to eat, <laughs> and they they survive by eating people like you. Yep. Ecology <laughs> of a beastie. Ecology of a beastie. It eats stuff like you. Shut up and deal with it. It's there to protect the door. Yeah, it's, that's his job. No, but it there's, you know... So monsters, again, are a component. But if you start saying the entire plot, I don't know what's going on. Oh, it's it's a lich. It's a death knight. It's an ancient, you know, 
anti-Jedi in space who's learned the way of, you know, I don't know, the Sith and he's blah, blah, blah. If you don't explain bits and pieces of it and you just like, well, look, you guys did not choose these hooks. You didn't put two and two together. Therefore, things are going pear-shaped. Therefore, you do not know how to solve this big problem at the end. Because as gamers, we, we're assuming that when we, we're trying to gather as many clues and hooks and such as we can, usually, so that we can deal with whatever's to come up. We're kind of um, procedurally, perhaps, trying to find this data. And when you can't get something because it is unexplainable, it is unknowable, and there's nothing you can do to get it, that can be very frustrating. Unless use the player or use the game master can get the players to realize that the fact that it is unexplainable and knowable tells you something. What does that tell you? Oh, that tells me that we're dealing with these outer beings. Oh, okay, that tells me you don't know it. You don't know what it wants or what it's trying to do, but you know enough to figure out that it's obviously evil and must be stopped. You know what I'm saying? Indeed. This is a weird one. I don't... I wasn't sure to talk about like initially techniques per se, but it's interesting to me because in a lot of games I run, there's <clears throat> weirdness. In the current Avalon game I'm running for the Wednesday evening crew, there's there's a thing. We don't necessarily know what it is or what its powers are. It's been shown to them in the first session, and they're kind of freaked out by it, but they don't know what the fuck it really does or what it is. And quite frankly, depending what they do, they may not find out much of anything before they have to deal with it. And um, not all groups or gamers are would be happy with that. You know, they want to be able to know something. Or at least at the end of it, have me, game master to player, say, oh, it was this monster. And that, because you used, didn't use the silver weapons, that's why it didn't work. You didn't use the plus two sword I gave you or whatever. So I think... They're not researching enough. Yeah. In game. In game, yeah. But do you do, you do the reveal afterwards? I guess let's go back to that. You know, so in game, some players I have worked with over the years, like they're fine with in game being frustrating and weird, but out of game, they want me as the game master to explain it to them. Do you uh, do that? Oh, man. You know, <laughs> I know I have. It's something I really don't want to do. I mean, moving forward, I just really have made an attempt to like not say anything. It's hard not to, though, like you said, because there's this cool, wonderful stuff. If you're running a pre-gen adventure and you read it, and you're like, oh, my God, there's this clue. There's this cool thing. The monster, the creature, the bad guy, the 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 person is doing this because of X. Oh, if only you guys would have found this out. It's hard not to tell people that, man. It is because you want to share in the big fun. Yeah. And they want to be and they want to know that they want to be in on the big fun. True. I think it's a tough call because at the end of a convention game, when I've run Trail of Cthulhu, the last couple of cons I've been at, I've explained a few things to people because there is a logic and a reason behind something. Right. So I've said kind of the game ends and then I run a, you know, the scene after. They're not in it, but this is what happens next while you're not there. Here's the aftermath of what you guys just did. And then through that description, like, oh, my God, we didn't solve the problem. No, you didn't. Ah, fuck. And then they can walk away. It's kind of like that spoiler after the credits are done where the hand crawls back out of the earth type of thing. One chats are a little different, too. One chats, I wouldn't have a problem. But you can do the same type of 
thing in a campaign is once it's done, everybody's, what the hell? Aftermath, five years after this happens. Oh, fuck, we didn't save anything. Five years after, everything's this exactly the way it ought to be. Wow, we won. I'm not sure how we did it, but fucking hey, we won. And that might maybe that's a way to get people to calm down. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird it's a weird idea, I, I guess. At least it, it feels weird to me because we often truck in this stuff like, oh, it's unexplainable. Oh, it's alien intelligence. Oh, it's from beyond space and time and such. And the number of times I've had people trying to run Call of Cthulhu games for me with creatures that are beyond space and time running very mundane scams. I'm like, why why would the why are they doing this? I thought they were like otherworldly and super powerful. You know, it just feels awkward. And there's a trick to taking something that is alien in, in thought and uh, an approach to its existence and rolling it into a game. And it's not easy to do. And I don't and I don't know if everybody even wants to have that if they or if they would rather have the explanation. Huh. Anyway. So if you're a player mm-hmm. posting this out to the to the listenership, the BSers far and wide, would you want to know? Yeah, I guess that's kind of the that's kind of my question really, is is it the unexplained, the unexplainable, the unknowable, whatever <clears throat> do you want your game master to explain to you at the end of the game? Or player to GM? Do you need to know it in game? Do you thrive on not knowing that stuff? Is that okay? And I think the other question I'd have to game masters and to players as well is how have you either kept the secret or revealed it appropriately or even inappropriately if you've made a mistake? <laughs> you've done it when, ah, oh, crap, I shouldn't have said that. It's just, it's, it's just interesting. And I'm, I, I, I'm, it's one of those pieces the uh, I guess pieces of the hobby that I think about periodically, I don't have an answer for, and I don't really have a clear, cohesive thought on it, which is probably obvious if you've been listening for the last X number of minutes. But it just it kind of eats at my head every once in a while. Like, sh- how much of this stuff should I waste my time trying to make explainable when it really shouldn't be? You know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying. You got any other pointers, man, or should we move on? No, I I don't know if there's necessarily pointers. It's just a where 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 do you feel comfortable as a game master telling your players and what kind of group you're running? And what game? Like what kind of game? Is there an ultimate reveal? I think that's all all these factors kind of come into play on how you handle it. I you know, you run a science fiction game and you've got this weird beastie that does weird things and you don't want to like make it so obvious to your players, maybe, and you have to build it up as they come across clues. I mean, that's the, I think that's the way a lot of suspense games are handled. And I think that's cool, but if they don't get it, you know, then what happens? Does it, is it a big deal? Do you want to explain to your players after the fact? I mean, everything you mentioned, Brett, I think it's a case-by-case basis. So I'm just curious, like, from people that are listening to this, where do you draw the line as a game master? As a player, how much do you want to be kept in the dark because you like the mystery behind it and uh, try to solve it yourself? Because I know some people are like, I mean, if I told my wife she'll watch a show and I'm like, oh, this is what's happening, she was clueless. 
if I say anything that even hints to the reveal, she'll she gets all mad. Yeah, because I'm I'm spoiling it for her, right? Okay. And so when I just sit there and she comes to the end, oh oh, and it, it's to most some people it's like, uh, yeah, that was kind of you kind of got that from like scene two. <laughs> but you just sit there and go, oh yeah, see, look. Oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so my wife, on the other hand, at a certain point, if she if she's frustrated with a movie or or it's kind of done, we I can't remember what the hell we're watching a movie this weekend, and she's like, "You know what the ending of this one is? Yeah, I think it's this. You want me to tell you? Yeah, okay, all right. Let's see if you're right. <laughs> it turned out I was right, but it, it was just one of those. Sometimes it's like it's it's fun to not know and have it revealed, and other times, I mean, I've watched movies where at the ending. The ending's very unclear. And some people can't stand it. If the movie doesn't end up in a nice tight bow, like, hey, everything's understood. You know, at the end of it, did he win? Did she win? Are they dead? Did they go to heaven? Is this purgatory? What's going right. on? Where's this? What happened? An ambiguous ending of some kind can drive people bananas. I'm just kind of curious because it's not necessarily anticlimactic. It's almost anticlimactic, but it's in a certain point when, especially in a game, you feel like I missed something. Why don't I know? Or it can feel that way. So anyway, let's see what our listeners think. Or maybe they'll just tell us we don't ever want to talk about this again. Move on. That could be. That's true. Tyro! I got a couple this week. Um, Don Stroud from Drink, Spin, Run podcast uh, puts out the lesser key to the Celestial Legion. Uh, he's got a Kickstarter that is funded, I believe, and ends February 27th, 2019. I imagine after the fact, you should be able to get it through drive through but I don't know for sure. Yeah, he needed 450 bucks. He's at 4840 so he's he's funded. <laughs> he's sandbagging. It was it was funny. He's like, if you're if you're this, <laughs> the book is written, art is paid for, the only layout, blah, blah, blah. And, and the next statement was, if you're this close, why a Kickstarter? The low goal for this project covers a small print run of just 100 copies that the funding will allow me to print physical copies of the book. If more is needed, the funding will cover that need. Right. Neat. So forth, right? He talks about it generates angels to interact with clerics and other PCs. It generates things like vestments, holy days, and other sweet aspects of worship. It suggests duties for your cleric to do, like exorcisms, preaching, etc. It generates relics of the saints. It probably does a little bit more. And so uh, if you'd like a PDF... Uh, or you want to back that thing, feel free to check out Don Stroud's The Lesser Key to the Celestial Legion. And then the second one, just something I saw on Twitter that some of our uh, listenership BSers would be interested in, um, Judge Dredd. You're a big fan, aren't you? Are you, aren't you, Brett? I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I I watched the the uh, Carl Urban movie, the Judge Dredd one. That was that was cool. I read a few of the comics. I think I might still have a couple left back in the late 90s, early 2000s when I was still reading comics regularly. But Judge Dredd was kind of this crazy-ass dystopian nutty thing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's I am I am interested in it. I don't know if it's – speaking of, like, AP that may be intimidating, part of me looks like, at it and goes, uh, should I? What, uh, do I want to get into this? I don't know. You know, so – yeah, so there's we'll have a link to an article on four one one mania that mentions a little bit about the system, like um, 
Oh, yeah. I think. Where did I just see it? Yeah, I think it's like a D. The the system difference. Um. Which uses only d6s and a pool of dice against the difficulty level for rolls. But anyways, uh, Ian World published it. It's on RPG drive through if you're a big Judge Dread fan. Cool. Check it out. Yeah. Um, thanks to Bruce C75. I have an inkling on who that may be. And Deddo Flink for the reviews on iTunes. Much appreciated. Well, thank you very much. What are we talking about next week, Brad? Have we decided? Yeah, I like the idea of playtesting. I like the idea of, you know, how do you pound on the material in an effective way. And I think, obviously, this will be Brad and Sean's opinions and that your mileage may vary. But I think it's worth talking about, if nothing else, the what we say and people will have a reaction to it one way or another and people have input around it. So let's see what we can collect on this topic. So we'll move on to that one. Sounds good. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. This has been another episode of Gaming and Bus. I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming NBS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Hawksbarrow, Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Larry Hout, Mark Tasaka, Pure Mongrel, C.W. Mellencamp, Chris Steele, Ron Bishop, Thomas Hook, Wayne Humfleet, Craig, Brandon Barnes, Laramie Wall, Dan LaValley, Jason Hobbs, Sky, Roger Braslett, John Hammersley, Old School DM, Perry Besor, Michael Dinos, Jim Fitzpatrick, Christopher Gray, Bruce Cunnington, John Coward, Corey Gonzalez, Eileen Barnes, Robert Nemeth, Maurice, Niall Diamond, Angus, Howard Bishop, Stephen Dragonspawn, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Salzweedle, Trevor Davis, Chad Gleyman, Finolf, Merkel Froelich, Lord Tentacle, Joe Swick, Curtis Takahashi, Josh Wallace, Kevin Lovecraft, Andy Olson, and Tony Sugarloaf Baker. For ways to support the show, head over to gamingnbs.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.